So this is our last Sunday in this series of uh, what we're building together is, is not a building. So this is a picture, again, of what you would have walked into a year ago in this space. And uh, part of why we're doing this is we're just remembering God's faithfulness uh, over the last year, over the last three years we've spent as a church. But all of these external changes, uh, as we did them, God was reminding me of the real work is internal. The real work is being changed from the inside out. As we looked at two weeks ago, the real work is doing that change together that we looked at last week. And uh, if someone asked in, in one word, why, why put up with that mess of making it look like from, from that to making it look like this. And if, if, if you just gave me one word, that word, the answer would be stewardship. Stewardship, that the word is often associated with finances or giving, especially when it's brought up in church. And some people just shut down when money is mentioned in church. And I know that because I was once one. Uh, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're not talking about money. We're, we're talking about stewardship. Um, so I just want to start by everyone taking a deep breath. Hold it for a second and then let your breath out. Do it, do it again. I'm serious. I want you to take a breath so you don't miss it. Inhale, hold it, and exhale. Thanks for engaging in that little practice. Okay, now whose breath is that? It is your breath. We just sang that it's God's breath, and that's, that's true. With some creative license, that's true, but it is your breath that God gave you. And let's just use that. Let's just use that answer. That's my breath. Well, let's, let's explore how did that breath become yours? When I inhaled, my diaphragm tightened and it moves down. It increased the space for my chest cavity into which my lung, lungs expand. The muscles between my ribs also help enlarge the chest cavity. They contract to pull my rib cage both upward and outward when I inhale. As my lungs expand, air is sucked in through your nose or mouth. The air travels down the windpipe into the lungs, and after passing through the bronchial tubes, the air finally reaches and enters the air sacs. Through the very thin walls of the air sacs, oxygen from the air passes through surrounding blood vessels, capillaries, and a red blood cell protein called hemoglobin helps move the oxygen from the air sacs to the blood. At the same time, carbon dioxide moves from the capillaries into the air sacs. The, the gas has traveled into the bloodstream from the right side of the heart through, through the pulmon, pulmonary artery, and oxygen-rich blood from the lungs is carried through a network to the pulmonary, pulmonary vein. The vein delivers the oxygen-rich blood to the left side of the heart. The left side of the heart pumps the blood to the rest of the body. There, the oxygen in the blood moves from the blood vessels into the surrounding tissues, and that's how the inhale became yours. And that's just the inhale. The exhale is a lot easier. When you breathe out, your diaphragm releases the carbon dioxide. And all that to say, there's really two basic attitudes of answering the question, how did that breath become yours? How did it become mine? And I want to focus on the attitude and not just the words. I took it or I received it. And we do, so I, I overanalyze things. Don't overanalyze the words of I took, we do take breaths, but we don't do all that stuff on the inside. 
Like that's just out of our control. We, we received it. I think that's the better attitude to look at it. And the point of that exercise is this. Unless Christ returns, the day will come that we all want to or try to take a breath and we can't. No matter how much we want to breathe at that point, we can't. Every breath is a gift. All of life is a gift. That's how the Bible describes our job, our family, our singleness, our free time. Whether it's a lot or a little, it's all a gift and therefore it's all stewardship. A gift for which we will answer to the giver. So I wanted to begin with that exercise because breathing is a biblical picture of our life. The psalmist says that man is like a breath. What you just did. Inhale, exhale, over. Our days are like a passing shadow. So life is but a breath, but let's, let's, let's not go into the nihilistic ditch of thinking it's just a breath. So what? It's a breath with breathtaking significance. We're made in the image of God. Paul says that, don't you know that you're going to judge angels, Christians? But we have breathtaking significance that we don't realize at any given moment. This is a life that is given to us, but ultimately it finds its source, our life does, and its purpose in another. That is stewardship. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. And so stewardship Again, this is not about money. This is about all of life. It asks the question, what has God put on my plate? What has God given me to handle? And how can I best handle that because it ultimately belongs to him? That's a question that we all can and should ask because we're going to answer that question with our lives. We just cannot help but answer the question. And so as we went through the remodel, I was consistently reminded of the importance of asking this question. For me, for all of us. So we're going to talk about it today. <laughs> and this is the last time we're going to use the remodel as a picture. Next week we'll be back in the Gospel of Matthew. So we're going to see stewardship clearly in our passage today. Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And I want to give you the context before we read the passage. Uh, this is the second of three parables that Jesus gives in a row. Boom, boom, boom. In Matthew 25. And all of these parables Jesus is talking about the end when he comes back. And uh, Jesus' parables are, are brilliant, and sometimes they're so brilliant that I just need him to tell me what they are, what they mean. And that's what he does at the end of the first parable in verse 13. Uh, he says, therefore keep watch. He said, verses one through 12 is a parable. And he says, the purpose of that story is be ready because you don't know when I'm coming back. And this is the second parable that comes right after that. So I'm gonna start reading in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then the, the man went away, the master went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
And he also, and he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and lazy servant. I knew, you knew that I reap where I've not sown and I gather where I've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at, at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And, the, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus' primary message in this parable is to make the most of your life, to steward your life well. And it's a parable that many of us are familiar with. The three servants are given something to manage. Uh, but what's easy for us to miss in this story is that what they're given uh, is, is quite extraordinary. A talent back then is worth 20 years of pay for the common worker. So let's assume the common worker today makes $25,000 a year. That would be 50, no, $500,000. It'd be half a million dollars for one talent. So that's what the one talent guy got was half a million. Two talent, you got a million. Five talents, 2.5 million. That is your faithful with a little, right? That's, that's your little to be faithful with. And it's, it's, it's a picture of the life that we're given is extraordinary, but it often feels ordinary because we live it every day. And we're reminded of how extraordinary life is when those close to us are sick or we have close calls on the road or, of course, when someone dies. Uh, but when we think about how our body operates like we just did with our breath, or if you think about the law of physics at work in our solar system, you look at the flaming ball of gas, you know, that illuminates our, our world by day. Um, it, this is an incredible, extraordinary life. And, and Jesus is choosing to use something of great value in this story for his servants to take care of, the servants of the master. And, and this, is, this is stewardship, no matter if it's half a million or 2.5 million, they were giving something valuable to take care of. And Jesus is not teaching finance 101 here. He's teaching people how to live ready for his return. And he's saying, don't waste your life, make the most of it. And the key, I, I believe the key to making the most of your life is not balance, you know, figure it out as you go. But the key is rightly understanding who gave you the life and what's the expectation. If I, if I entrust my dog to someone or if I entrust my house to someone, the, the key is understanding who is it that's giving you this trust and what do they expect you to do with it. And we, I, I just see it straight from the text. And the, we, we learn the most from the, the, the servant who failed here, I think, because he, the, Jesus, Jesus really unpacks this one, beginning in verse 24. 
He'd received the one talent when he came forward. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I hid your talent in the ground. You see his, do you see his view of God, his view of the master? Do you see how it shapes his actions and his attitudes? Who Mr. One Talent understood God to be was sovereign, all-powerful. That he's like, I know that you can make an apple. You, you don't have to pick an apple from a tree. You can go like this, and there's an apple in your hand. So you give me this apple tree to take care of, and I'm not going to let it produce apples. I'm not going to like water it or anything, because you don't need the apple tree. I'm giving, I'm giving Mr. One Talent a very generous reading. Other commentators, just so you know, they, they, they dog on him. But I, I'm trying to give him the very best possible reading. Uh, but, but you can't give the, the master's response a good reading. You know, like, it, it's just clear. that Mr. One Talent, here's his case in a nutshell, is I didn't mess it up. I didn't mess it up. I knew that you can do whatever you want, and I didn't mess it up. I just dug a hole and buried it. But the master says, if you feared losing it, and if you accurately feared me, you should have done something with it. You see, he did not understand. He didn't personally know the master or the master's expectations. That's, that's my whole point here, right? Understanding who's entrusting this life to you and understanding what he actually wants from you in this life that's kind of the point of stewardship. You have to know who's entrusting it to you and what do they expect. And because he didn't understand that, that, that leads us to deal with the most uncomfortable part of the text, and I think it should be the most uncomfortable part of the text, which is the unfaithful steward's condemnation. Verse 29, to everyone who has, more will be given. He'll have an abundance. But to the one who doesn't have, even what he has is going to be taken away. Because he wasn't faithful, he'll be cast out into outer darkness, a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is uncomfortable because this is an incredibly, there is no more dense, heavy punishment than hell. And I think if you ask the question, why this punishment of hell? The best answer I can give you this morning is that the punishment fits the crime. God is a just judge, and this punishment fits the crime. Remember, this is an incredible, valuable stewardship that we've been given. And so, I know that some people might hear that punishment fits the crime, but it sure doesn't look that way to me, Ben. It sure doesn't feel that way. Grapple with that. Like, wrestle with that question, but wrestle out of a place of humility. And here's what that would look like. If you're genuinely asking God, how does that punishment fit that crime also ask yourself this how do I know what the appropriate punishment would be how how do I know what the appropriate punishment would be for someone who's made in God's image who does not bear and uphold the, the expectation that the creator has for his creation if you want more info on how Jesus will judge the world you should really read We're not going to read the next parable, the third parable, the last parable in Matthew. You should really read it, though. It's required reading and meditation material if you really want to know how Jesus will judge the world. But this parable today, it clearly highlights the problem. 
The one, the one talent servant was given something valuable and he buried it in the dirt. He buried the valuable item in the dirt. He had a part to play. He didn't play his part. And so your life, my life, it matters. And how we respond to the gifts we receive matters. So just as that one talent servant's view of the master impacted his actions, I would argue that the other two, they increased their talents because of their view of the master. They understood who he was and what his expectation was. They got not condemnation, but they got a commendation. They got well done because they were faithful even with a little. And I think that phrase, with a little, it makes, it makes so much sense when we understand it as, well, that's a million dollars. That's $2.5 million. Because that looks like a lot to me. But apparently, according to Jesus, that is a little compared to the riches of all the master has for us. The faithful servants are promised more moving forward. 2.5, you turned it into five, that's good. That's nothing compared to what the master has. And I'm not preaching or teaching a health and wealth gospel here. I'm teaching the riches of Christ. And this is a checkpoint of faithfulness to us. If that is a little bit compared to the riches of Christ in the midst of our life that we're called to steward, then how can we be faithful with our job? How can we connect our job to our joy? All the discipline that we have to do in order to be responsible in life to delight. See, faithfulness to God, it always results in greater fulfillment in God. You don't become a faithful person to God and a miserable person. I'm not saying that faithfulness to God is easy. I'm just saying it results in greater fulfillment in God. There's a relationship. First you're responsible, then you get privilege. This isn't earning, this is enjoying relationship. The two servants that took care of what they were entrusted with, they got to more fully enjoy their master's pleasure. Not just that day, but into the future. Enter into the joy. Because you're going to be receiving more. More responsibility and more pleasure. And I think it's really difficult to get there. It's even more difficult to stay there where we're faithful to God and then we, we grow in fulfillment in God. But that's why we must train. We've, we've all got a lot going on in our lives. Work, raising kids, maintaining homes, maintaining cars, relationships, decisions about the future, dealing with consequences from our past, wounds from our past. But in all that, God does not leave us waiting to the end to experience his pleasure. He might have us wait for a time. I'm not saying that you just have to call out to God and you'll experience his pleasure. I'm just saying that the final well done is not the only well done. It'll be the best well done, but don't miss all the little well dones along the way. And if you're wondering, where do I get that? I get that from Romans 8. I get that from Ephesians 3, Hebrews 12. Just find a passage that you can bathe in and uh, be reminded of God's love for you in the midst of your faithfulness, your pursuit of faithfulness now. God's reaffirming voice through his spirit, through scripture, always reaffirms his, his loving commitment to you. So we talked about hell, you know, a couple minutes ago. 
But really the depths of hell are shallow compared to the heights of heaven. Don't let your fear of punishment be your driving, motivating force of faithfulness. Let the enjoyment of fulfillment in God, your pleasure in God, because that'll take you a lot higher than fear of punishment ever will. And we explore the heights of heaven by being faithful. Effort is not opposed to grace. So we have to do something to be faithful. Being faithful is doing something, but it's more than doing something. It's doing what God wants you to do. It's knowing him, understanding the expectation, and moving forwards towards that. So in, in the story, the master was gone for a long time, and then he came back. But uh, Jesus said, I'll be with you always, even to the end. So when we ask the question, what's next? Sometimes a good leader, and Jesus is the best leader, sometimes he'll say this specific thing. And other times he said, I'm glad you asked but I want to teach you something more important than that question. So keep asking. Sometimes we have to continually search out what faithfulness is, but we're always searching out the one who's the giver of life, the one who owns this life, the one to whom we answer. And so I want to finish by, by just touching on what I call the required reading, this third parable, because I think looking at all three parables give us, gives us a whole view of Jesus' teaching on this matter. The first teaching was be ready. The second that we focused on today is live as a faithful steward. But the third parable in this trilogy, it is a trilogy, is live as a faithful steward and be ready without thinking about it. Again, I want you to, I want, you to like want to read this last section of Matthew 25. Jesus separates out. He judges not by what you do, but what you have been trained to do without even thinking about it. What kind of person you are. And how do we become the kind of people who are good stewards over little things without even thinking about it? You train. You make it a habit. And as we think about how can I do that? What does that mean in my life? What's the, I, I want to I end with application of what is the greatest stewardship of your life? And, we, and faithfulness in, in our lives, it just looks different. Whether you have five kids, no kids, whether you have two jobs, no job, faithfulness looks different in our lives. But this is the same if you follow Jesus your greatest stewardship is not your house, not your cars, not your spouse, not your kids. It's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 4. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mystery of God. It's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Paul is saying that we are stewards of the gospel. We are entrusted with that treasure. And we just read the story that unpacks how it is required of stewards to be found faithful. And in the context of Paul's letter, that trust is the gospel. And so how can we train to steward that trust? Oh, is that a glitch? Oh, is that a glitch? No, that's not a glitch. That's just the tip of the iceberg of how we can train to steward the trust of the gospel. I, I want to I end with two more specific applications of, of training to steward the trust of the gospel. One is passive training, which looks like this. You're doing the dishes, you're disciplining your kids, you're going over your budget, you're taking time 
to like plan and take a vacation and, and you remind yourself this is faithfulness. That's passive training. You remind yourself as best as I can tell as I've prayed and you know, like walked with God, this is faithfulness right now. So you're, you're living your life and you're reminding yourself this is faithfulness. Active training looks like this. I'm going to stop what I normally do. I'm going I'm to set aside time to train. Like what we're doing this morning, you chose to get out of bed, you chose to drive your car here, you, tr- you, you chose to engage in worship and song and with people. You are stopping your normal life for the purpose of training. That's active training. So we can, we can train to become these types of people who are faithful with little without even thinking about it so that we live ready for Jesus' return, both by passive training and active training. And the relationship between those two is they spur each other on. They both moves us, move us towards living ready lives, faithful lives, and that being our norm. That's who we are. That's what we do without thinking about it. But in all of this, we are cooperating with the ultimate owner. We know who he is, and we're continually understanding Okay, what is, what is your expectation? What would it look like for me to take what you've given me and work with you to increase that and to be a faithful steward over that? So we're going to continue in active training as we, as we pray now. So I just want to encourage you to talk to God about your life um, and, and thank him for the treasure of your life. And if you're here and you haven't yet embraced Jesus as your master, if you've been looking for fulfillment anywhere other than relationship to him, I'd encourage you to change your mind this morning and choose to receive life from him as a stewardship, as a precious gift. And tell someone if you do that. And for everyone who calls on Jesus, I, I do want you to take, take this time to bask in the pleasure of your master. Even if it's basking in his pleasure over repenting this morning, I, I want you to tune your ear to hear, well done, and, and just, just bask in his pleasure. Because that's what drives us forward and not, not just the fear of punishment, but it's, it's the pull of love.